Good afternoon, barely, but good afternoon. It's good to see you all here. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in just a moment, so if you want to turn in your Bible to that place, you may. Um, If you would like to follow along in a Bible but didn't bring one, um, we put black hardback Bibles under the seats around you, so feel free to snag one of those, and if you don't own a copy of God's Word, that's our free gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word to take home with you, and so uh, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in just a moment, Um, also page 32 in your all-in booklets. Um, So if you want to turn there as well, you can. Uh, One brief announcement, and it's actually more of a prayer request. Um, This Tuesday evening, our leadership team and our elder body will be interviewing a student minister candidate. Uh, We've been um, on the pursuit of this since back in December of last year, and uh, and, and God has brought us a number of different uh, candidates, uh, but we are moving forward to interview a candidate this Tuesday evening, and we would ask for your prayers for the elder body for the leadership team, and more importantly for this candidate, um, that, that collectively we would be able to discern the will of God and make a decision that brings glory to his name. So this Tuesday evening, be praying for us, if you don't mind, and the candidate in that. Now, we are in an all-in series. We've got three weeks behind us, two to go. So let me just start by, first of all, welcoming you if you're a visitor. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, so a couple things for you. First of all, today we're going to be talking about generosity as it relates to finances. We want nothing from you, okay? Can we just get that off the table? Um, We want something for you. We're glad that you're here. As a matter of fact, you are stepping into Solid Rock at a really exciting moment. Um, This is a time where God is doing an amazing work here in our church, and we are asking of ourselves, what does it look like to be all in, committed to God, that he would use us for his kingdom's sake and for his glory? And so we're glad that you're here. Um, Also, if you're a visitor, I would love the opportunity to get to visit you and and to meet you. So um, during the last couple songs of the service, I slip out, I head down the hallway, I'm in the last room on the left, which is on your right right now, and I would love the opportunity to get to meet you. So if you have time, stop by and see me, and, uh, and I'll get the chance to get to know you a little bit. Now, for our folks who call this place home, um, I have a couple of hopes for us too. Primarily, my hope today, as we talk about generosity, would be that God would deconstruct our misconceptions about generosity, okay? And I feel like we all walk into the room with a few. For example, as soon as you hear me say the word generosity, a lot of us automatically go to money, don't we? And we automatically go to, oh, this is the service where finally the preacher is going to ask me to give a bunch of money. It's a misconception about generosity as we understand it from a biblical perspective. Um, Second of all, for those of you, again, who have been with us through this series, there have been a couple of words that I keep hearing from you as you share your stories with me. One of those words is hard. This has been a hard journey. It's been a struggle. I've had to wrestle. I've had to really think about and self-evaluate. But I've also heard the word exciting. And those are two words that I've heard you say. So my second hope for us today is that today would be encouraging to you, that in no way you would walk out of here from this service feeling uh, guilty, feeling shamed, or feeling a burden to give money. If you feel that way, please come see me, because you've missed it, okay? You've missed it. I want today to be encouraging to you. Now, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 8, and we're going to look at how this all-in principle applies to our generosity. Let me back up. Week one, we looked at this invitation from Jesus for those who would call themselves his followers to be willing to take up their cross, deny themselves daily, and follow him. And we call this an all-in commitment that Jesus is calling each of us to. Holy surrender, like we just sang. All in, wherever he would lead us. The next two weeks, we looked at what it means to have biblical faith. 
We talked about how in our world today, we needed to find terms because the world outside of the church has a perspective and a definition of faith that's different from the one we read about in the scriptures, right? The, the world would define faith as wishful thinking, kind of this genie in a bottle, in a bottle kind of faith, uh, dream up what you want to be, you can be anything you want to be. Biblical faith is, first of all, rooted in truths that don't change. And so it's, first of all, believing things to be absolutely true, Right? And, and namely, that what Jesus has to offer us is better than what this world has to offer us. This is what the Bible says. You're either going to believe that or not. Right? We looked at the rich young ruler last week, how he believed Jesus had good things to offer. He just didn't believe that they were better than what the world had to offer. Right? So it means belief. But that's only one component of biblical faith. We talked about um, last week how biblical faith, this idea of truly believing that about Jesus, will lead us then to trust him. That true biblical faith is more than just conceptually believing, it's actually trusting in those deep truths that you claim to believe. And so today we're going to look at how this all-in mindset plays out in generosity, and, uh, and we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Let's go ahead and do that. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's going to talk about Christians in the Macedonian area and, and something he experienced with them. And he's going to use them as an example to encourage the Christians in Corinth. Not to beat them up or make them feel guilty, but to encourage them and inspire them. And so in verse 1, he writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now if we stop right here, we don't have any indication that he's talking about money, Right? Talking about grace. So what we would probably think is, oh, he's talking about the gospel going out, changing lives, right? In the area of Macedonia, you, you've seen this goodness of God moving. Now, he goes on in verse 2, though, to say this. As a tangible expression of this grace, verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And so he is referring to their generosity, but he starts by talking about the grace of God. He's connecting those two things. Now for us then, we need to take a step back and think about how we define the word generous or generosity. Because Paul is equating it to the grace of God. What do we know about the grace of God, first and foremost? That it is unmerited favor, meaning each one of us who has received it does not deserve it. We've been given something freely that not one of us deserves. Right? The free gift of God in his grace. It's also something we can't pay back. It's not a, it's not a layaway plan. It's not a, it's not a loan from God. It's a free gift of generous grace. Right? It's unmerited favor. So as we think about how that relates to generosity, our understanding of generosity begins to be deconstructed on some level. We tend to think about generosity in proportion to how much a person deserves it. We, we, we especially think about it when we're maybe running around town and we encounter somebody in need and we think about what they're going to do with that money if we give it to them, right? And in our minds, even though we, we're not, maybe not aware of it, what we're doing is we're thinking, Did this, does this person really deserve my hard-earned money if I'm going to give or would it just be throwing it away? And so we tend to think in generosity in terms of, right, deserving it. But when God calls us to generosity, it's, it's a generosity that mimics or reflects his grace towards us, and it's not about who deserves it. 
Matter of fact, every dollar that is given in this church that's used for ministry is used to minister to people who do not deserve it. Every person who walks through these doors or any set of doors that we build or put up will not deserve the grace of God. Generosity is rooted in the grace of God. True biblical generosity, right? No strings attached, given purely out of goodness. Now, Paul wants us to understand generosity this way. If you're taking notes and you want to fill in the blanks, the first blank is this. All in generosity is fueled by the grace of God. That's the motive. God's been good to me, and as a reaction or an echo of that out of my life, I want to be good. God has loved me well, therefore I want to love well. God has been generous to me, therefore I want to echo that out with my life and be generous unto others. Right? Fueled from what? The grace of God. And you didn't earn that or attain that on your own, did you? No, it was freely given to you that you might echo that out and freely give to others. Now here's the second reason why our generosity must be fueled by grace. And we saw this with Peter last week when he got out of the boat. Right, So Jesus comes to the disciples in the midst of the storm. He's walking on water, kind of freaks them out for a minute. and They think they're seeing an apparition or a ghost. He speaks to them and says, I'm not a ghost. I am the I am. It's me. Don't be afraid. Peter says, if that's you, Lord, call me out of the boat. First step out of the boat, so good, right? So far, so good. Second step, so far, so good. And then what? He takes his eyes off of Jesus and puts it back on his problem. And what happens? He begins to sink. Now, did Jesus in that, in that moment respond to Peter? See, I told you you didn't have enough faith. Did Jesus call the disciples? Come, come get your boy here. He didn't even have enough faith to take three steps on the water. How did Jesus respond? When Peter cried out to him, save me, what did Jesus do? Immediately the word of God says, he reached out his hand and he saved him. And we gotta hear this, folks. This is the second reason why our generosity must be driven by Grace, because none of us is going to be good at it. None of us is going to be perfect at it. All of us are going to be a lot like Peter, excited in one moment, eyes focused on Christ, one foot after the other, and in the next moment, sinking or reacting in fear or right, drifting towards doubt. Or right, We need the grace of Jesus every step of the way. No person in this room or on the earth for that matter has the ability and strength to be generous on their own. It must be driven by the grace of God. All in generosity is fueled by the grace of God. Now verse three. For they, these are the Christians in the churches of Macedonia, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now that phrase, relief of the saints, is a New Testament way of describing, that they also call it the collection of the saints, when they collected money to supply what was needed for ministry and to take care of the needs of others. It was called the relief of the saints or the collection of the saints. And so what Paul is saying, and he's saying, I can testify to this, they gave, right, out of their means. Is that where they stopped? They gave beyond their means. Now think about that for just a minute. So for me, as, as Hallie and I have been wrestling through our all-in commitment, and just so you know, we're wrestling there with you, okay? Um, 
we had come to a place a little over a week ago where we realized that um, what God had called us to give at one point in our marriage was actually a sacrifice. It was hard. But over time, it had become kind of a rhythm and kind of a, something that was more comfortable for us. And so we were giving within our means. And for, for her and I, we stepped back and said, wait a second. We feel like God's calling us to sacrifice. God lead us to a financial commitment that actually represents sacrifice here. Okay? Something that's beyond right what's comfortable and what's easy. Now, in our community group, we were talking about this um, this past weekend, and we were talking about how it relates even to parenting. I think it's a great illustration to think about parenting. So if any of you have been a parent for longer than a day, uh, you know you can do nothing to change the heart of your child. Absolutely nothing. If you haven't came to that truth, more than likely you're beating your head up against the wall right now trying to figure out, why can't I fix this kid? This is all my fault. Well, that beautiful little sinner has a will, and he has a heart, or she has a heart, that only God can fix. And the sooner we come to that, that reality as a parent, the, right, the sooner we can let go of trying to control and modify behavior and begin to pray that God would change their heart and do the work we can't do, right? Because we're control freaks, especially as it relates to our kids. We want to control. We want to fix our kids. And we have to get to that place of surrender. We say, God, this is beyond what I can do. So now my only option is what? to trust you. Some of you who've had kiddos who've left the home have had to cross that bridge. God, I'm putting this kiddo in your hands and trusting you to do what only you can do. See, it's one thing to trust God for what seems possible, what seems in your control, right? But what Paul is saying is these folks were actually giving beyond their means, doing what actually seemed impossible. They were doing this. Now, this is, again, where I believe God needs to begin to deconstruct our thinking about generosity. He's not talking about a dollar amount or a percentage. I think this is so beautifully illustrated um, in the temple where Jesus is there, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. He calls his disciples over to him, and where is Jesus sitting? He's sitting right across the hallway from the money box, and he's watching people put their money in. He's the son of God. He gets to do that. And he's noticing that some, some folks are coming by, dropping some pretty large chunks of change in the offering box. And he pull, calls his, his, his disciples over. He said, I want you to watch. And there's a little, little old lady kind of makes her way up to the offering box, and she drops two little coins in the offering box and walks away. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you see her? She actually gave more than all the rest. Does that make sense? You can't put that in a spreadsheet and make that balance. What, how does that work? Why? Because she was giving from a place of true generosity with her whole heart. See, it wasn't about a dollar amount. These people were giving out of their poverty, right? The whole collection of what they put together probably was a small amount, relatively speaking. And it wasn't about the amount. It was the fact that they were sacrificially giving with generous hearts. So Paul reminds the church in Corinth that they gave. They gave willingly. They gave eagerly. They gave beyond their means. In verse 4, did you catch the the heartbeat of verse 4? Think about this. These people are, are in affliction, severe affliction. I mean, if anybody knows what severe affliction is, the apostle Paul does, right? I mean, beaten to a pulp, chased out of town with people, mob throwing rocks at him, trying to kill him, shipwreck, 
many nights he thought he was going to starve to death or be killed or, right? This guy knows what affliction is. He says, out of their severe affliction and their extreme poverty, they gave. Look at verse four, though. Have that picture in mind and listen to him. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. It's almost like the Apostle Paul said, hey, you guys are just having a hard time financially, so just you don't need to give. And how did they respond? They begged, Paul, please, please let us be a part of what God is doing. We don't have a lot. We don't have a lot of money, right? But let us be a part of the relief of the saints. All-in generosity comes from a willingness, we can't stop there though, and an eagerness. A willingness and an eagerness of the heart. I've already expressed this morning that you know, as I listen to your stories and you give me feedback on how God is working in your life, um, there's actually two words that keep coming up or a version of these words. One of them is hard. Right? This is difficult, but the other word is exciting. It's hard and exciting. And that, that only comes from a heart that's been changed by Christ, right? That you can be excited about willingly walking into sacrificial generosity. And we're, we're, we're seeing that reflected here, aren't we? Like they were not just willing, they were eager. Eager to be a part of what God was doing. All in generosity comes from willingness and an eagerness of the heart. Now, verse 5, if, you like, if you're an underlined person, you like to underline in your Bible or circle or highlight, verse 5 is the heartbeat of the whole text. It's actually the heartbeat of generous giving. It reflects the heartbeat of the gospel itself. Verse 5. He says, and this, and what? Sacrificial generous giving. That's the this. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So Paul is saying, we didn't expect them to react this way. That wasn't an obligation or a burden we put on them. We didn't guilt them into giving a bunch of money, right? We didn't put up a thermometer in the church and say, until you hit the top, we're not walking away. Let's come around again. Drop some more money again. I know you got more. He said, they actually, we didn't expect it. They caught us off guard with their generosity. But the heartbeat of this whole passage is this. They gave themselves first to who? The Lord. And then to us also. And we saw this last Friday night in 1 Chronicles 29. King David was before the people of Israel. Before he asked anybody to give anything, he had, he had already shelled out a bunch of what he had. He considered what he could give. But before he asked the people to give anything, he told them to consecrate themselves first to the Lord. Not to himself, not to their cause, not to the nation of Israel, not even to the building of the house of God. He said, consecrate yourselves first to the Lord. This is so important. So, so important. For it to be biblical generosity, it has to come from your commitment to the Lord. When we fill out commitment cards as a church, we're not making commitments to one another. You're not making a commitment to me. This is, this is purely you consecrating yourself to the Lord and saying, God, I'm making this commitment to you. First of all, he's the only one worthy of that kind of commitment. 
Second of all, he's the only one who can shepherd you with grace as you attempt to walk it out in faith, right? I don't have that kind of grace. Don't come expecting that from me. You need to expect it from him. And so we consecrate ourselves to the Lord, and we're seeing that in the Macedonian Christians. They gave themselves first to who? The Lord. That's why they were so eager to jump in the game and say, let us be a part of what God's doing. We've given our hearts to him, wholly surrendered. He's poured out his grace on us. He's stirring these affections and this eagerness to be a part of his kingdom here on earth. We don't have much, but can we throw in at least? And they did what was not expected because they gave themselves first to the Lord. All in generosity comes from a heart that is 100% surrendered. Now, did I say 100% perfectly moral? Did I say 100% you got your act together and you never stub your toe or mess up? No. Did I say 100% you're always giving with the right heart motives? No. Simply surrendered. Wholly surrendered. God, here I am. I'm striving to follow your will for my life. I'm striving to walk out this commitment. Wholly surrendered to you, oh God. 100%. Now, verse 6 and 7 is going to connect the idea of generosity with all the rest of my spiritual life. And if we're not careful, this is where we can, we can get a little bit uncomfortable. Because for a lot of us, generosity fits in its own little compartment. And I'm willing to talk about it as long as it's on my terms. I'm willing to pull it out once a year and talk about it in front of the church, have a little sermon on it, then we need to put it away. Then we can get back to the more important things like faith and knowledge and Becoming more like Jesus. But look at what Paul does in verses 6 and 7. First of all, he talks about uh, Titus. In verse 6, he says, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he would or should complete among you this act of grace. Titus had made a commitment, and he's saying to the church, Hey, I've already spoken to Titus, and I've asked him to keep his commitment right in this act of grace. But now I want to talk to you, verse 7. Verse 7, he says this, But... As you, you notice he didn't say if you, he says as you. He's expecting whatever he's about to say to happen. As you excel in everything. What do you mean, Paul, in everything? Well, he said he gives us a list. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, the word excel here could also translate into English as the word abound, which we don't use a lot in everyday language, right? I mean, haven't heard that one come up in a while. Abound. What does that word mean? So there's an image in my mind that, of what abound means. It's this idea. It's kind of like when you, um, you crack open a new two-liter two Coke, and you pour it in like a solo cup, and you pour just the amount you want to drink, and it starts foaming up, and then it starts rising. And you know that, that moment where you're like, I don't know how to make this stop, and it just keeps coming out, and you think it's going to stop at any moment, but it just keeps growing. It's not fast, but you can just watch it happening. Here it comes, then it begins to pour out and pour out, and you can't do anything, you stick your finger in it, you can do all these little tricks, and it doesn't quit, right? It just keeps, that's the idea of abounding. It's this slow, steady, accelerating, abounding growth in you. That's the word excel. And so he says, as you abound, continue to grow in your faith, in your knowledge, in your speech, in your earnestness, in our love for you, this, I want you to also abound in what? In this act of grace. What's the act of grace? 
generosity. He's saying don't detach generosity from, from the rest of your spiritual life. As God works in you and he continues to abound in you and cause you to grow, this is going to grow too, which means none of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. Right? You can't make any kind of financial commitment that's your final commitment. Right? Because why? It's not about a number. It's about a work God is doing in your heart. It's what God's been speaking to, to Hallie and myself, my wife and myself this past week. I want this to abound in you. I want you to get comfortable. And I've heard stories, you know, about these very generous givers in church that, you know, started off giving 10% and living off of 90, and they kept working their way until they're living off of 10% and giving 90, and those, right, you hear about those, you go, I just, that sounds so far-fetched. How do you get there? Because you allow the love of God to abound in you, and you slowly, over time, begin to grow and grow and grow. Right, there's never a time where we reach a spiritual plateau and go, done, I'm like Jesus now. In all areas of life, come watch me parent. Come watch me be a husband. Oh, you men who don't have it together, come watch me. No, I have to be abounding in my role as a husband, abounding in the way I lead my children, abounding in all aspects of my faith, including my faith, that it would grow and continue to rise and continue to abound. So Paul isn't heaping up this guilt trip on them and saying, here's the number you gotta give, and we're not walking away until you give it. He's saying, here's what I expect of you that this would just grow and abound in you as God works in your hearts. All in generosity comes from a heart that is growing. All in generosity comes from a heart that is growing in Christ. By that we mean becoming more and more like him every day. And that's where Paul's gonna go next the example we have in Christ, and this is where he's gonna flip our understanding of generosity upside down. Look at verses eight and nine with me. I say this not as a command. Just pause for a minute. Why would Paul say that? Because he was anticipating, right, that some of them would misunderstand what he was saying and they would interpret it as a command or some kind of like arbitrary expectation and that they would feel guilty at this moment. Oh no, God's not gonna love me if I don't give some money kind of thing. And so Paul taps the brakes and says, wait a second, let's just make sure we're all on the same page. I'm not saying this is a command. I'm not trying to heap up guilt or shame on you to motivate you to give money. I'm not saying this is a command. But instead, I'm saying this to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is Genuine. This is Paul's way of saying to the church in Corinth, I already see God's love in you. I'm asking you to be what you already are. Not, I'm not heaping up guilt saying, God's not going to love you unless you give a bunch of money. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, I see your love in you. All I'm doing is trying to fan that love into flame. I'm encouraging you to go live it out now. And then he turns to the example of Christ For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the phrase. That's the kingpin to all this. If you don't know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, you do not understand biblical generosity. Generosity that gives freely with no strings attached. Generosity that is unmerited. Generosity that gives sacrificially. 
And he's saying to the church, you know the love of Jesus Christ. You know the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, that you by his poverty might become rich. Is he talking about money? Nope. He's completely taking our understanding of generosity and flipping it upside down. Just like the woman in the temple, he's saying this isn't about a dollar sign. It's about where your heart is. And what he's describing here is Jesus, the Son of God, temporarily setting aside all that was rightfully his, his radiant glory, his ownership and sovereign, sovereign control of the universe, setting those things aside to humbly become poor among us. He's not talking about how much money he made. He's talking about his humble heart coming to earth to walk among us, live among us, to suffer for us, to die for us, to resurrect from the grave for us, and then to ascend back to the Father, saying Jesus became poor that we might become rich. What is he talking about rich? He's talking about eternal life. This is a conversation about eternity versus temporary living. It's not about money. Now, let's, let's fill in the last blank here, and then we're going to talk through some things. So, actually, let's do one other thing. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3 for just a moment together. You can flip there with me, or you can read this on the screen. I think Paul more um, explicitly describes what he's talking about here when he talks about we've become rich. In 1 Corinthians 3, um, verse 6, Paul uses the farming metaphor to describe how God works through people to save people. Okay? And so what had happened in the church in Corinth, Paul had come through and preached and taught and ministered and then left town. A guy named Apollos came through behind him and taught and preached and left town. And they were beginning to debate amongst themselves who they were followers of and whose camp they belonged to. And so Paul addresses it. And so in verse 6 he says, you guys need to understand something about me and Apollos. We're not all that cool. We don't have the kind of power to change hearts, right, that you think we have. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. The life change you've experienced was because God worked. All I did was plant seeds of eternity. I told you what was true. I taught and preached the gospel. What did Apollos do? He came and did the same thing. And metaphorically speaking, he just watered those seeds. But neither one of us did that work in you. The eternal work that has taken place in your hearts, God and God alone can do. He's talking about eternity. He goes on to say this, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. I want you to pay attention to verse 9. For we, and Paul is referring to himself, are God's fellow workers, You are God's field. God's what? Building. Now why do we need to point that out right here? I honestly don't think that it matters so much what our new building looks like. Can I just say that? I don't care. I hope it's nice looking. I hope all those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, 
God is not building buildings. He's building lives. And anything we build must be a tool unto that end or we've completely missed it. So here's what I need you to hear, church. Any seed of generosity you sow must be sown to impact eternity, not to build a building that we'll be excited about one day and disappointed with the next. That'll look beautiful one day and then will rust and fall down the next. This has to be about eternity. That's why Jesus became poor, that we would become rich. He's not talking about putting money in your pocket. He's talking about giving you eternal life. And here in, the, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is saying, listen, Apollos and I, we're just workers. We're just scattering seed out there and Paulus is watering, but God's the one doing the eternal work. Why? Because you're the buildings. You are God's field. You are the work that God is doing. And to the, the Christians in the Macedonian churches, they got that. And even though they were poor, why would they give so generously? Because they knew they were sowing eternal seeds. All in generosity must be about eternity. It must be. Not about what kind of chairs we want or what color carpet we want, or, right? These things are just tools, just a box. It's a bigger box, but it's just a box in which God can work in the lives of people. Folks, this is about eternity. It must be about eternity or it's not worth going down the road. We might as well just not build anything. The last blank is this. All in generosity in God's kingdom is an opportunity to sow seeds that will produce eternal fruit. I'm gonna ask you a question. I want you to think about it. Do you truly believe that? Do you give to this church to pay us back for ministering to your family? If so, you're not giving from the right heart motive. Do you give to this church because you love the kids' ministry and you love what's happening over there? And Do you give to this church because you want to keep the lights on and, and you know, practically speaking, we have to have money to operate? Church, keep your money. That's right, keep your money. Right? Our giving must be seeds sown in faith for the sake of eternity or nothing else. Our generosity must be seen as an opportunity to throw in with God, to be a part of what he's doing. You might be in a place of poverty and affliction right now. Guess what? You still get to be all in because it's not about a big lump sum of money that you can give. It's about where your heart is. It's why we're doing a one fun initiative. We're all throwing in together. Nobody's gonna get extra credit for giving more money. Nobody gets to compare their giving to somebody else's. Nobody gets to donate a seat in their honor and have their plaque put on something. We're detaching from it. We're saying what? I'm all in. God, I wanna throw in with what you're doing in this church, through this church, for your sake. This is about eternity. Now, I wanna, I wanna pause for just a moment and I wanna say this. Um, if you're here today, I don't care if you're eight years old or 80 years old, and you've not come to that place in your journey, what I mean by your journey is your life story, where you have taken a step of faith towards Jesus and surrendered, okay? Then, then we need to stop right here. The most important decision you can make with your life, however long your life is, is to take a step of faith towards Jesus and say, here I am. 
in that moment, God will meet you there. And he will, like the story of the, the father and the prodigal son, he will wrap his arms around you despite your track record, okay? So you don't have to clean yourself up first and you don't have to pretend like it didn't happen. Bring your mess. God the father says, bring your mess to me. And in faith, when you step towards him, he wraps his arms around you. He says, you're now my child. Okay, if you have not come to that place, today is your day. Before we leave here today, we're gonna sing some songs in a moment and I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to be at the back of the room as they always are. They've got lanyards on. And when we sing, I encourage you to slip out, grab one of our prayer partners and say, I wanna become a Christian today. Or would you pray for me? I'm trying to make this decision. And let them talk with you and pray with you, okay? From there, right, this amazing grace that will wash over you and just overwhelm you is what begins to stir our hearts in this kind of way. Those of us who have been saved, who have tasted the goodness of God, I hope today was encouragement to you. Today was not a day to heap up a bunch of commands. It was not a day to say, unless you're you know, giving to this certain expectation, you, you don't belong here. Listen, that's not the call of Jesus. Jesus is saying, listen, I want all of you or nothing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. It's all in. Come follow me and trust me with the outcome. Trust me with where I lead you to. Trust me with what I ask you to give. Trust me. And that's what it means to be all in. We're gonna get a chance to hear um, from one of our families in just a moment. And I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna roll us a testimony video and let you hear from one of our families. And then our worship team is gonna come back up and lead us in worship. Before we get to that point in the service, if you wanna slip out and grab one of our prayer partners, you're free to do that. If you wanna stay seated, even while we're singing, I want you to feel permission to do that. If you're still thinking about or contemplating or meditating on what God's spoken to you, wrestling with that, I want you to have the, the space and freedom to do that. If you just wanna talk with somebody and get some stuff off your chest, again, grab a prayer partner, a staff member, or elder, we'd be honored to talk with you. And if you want to stand and rejoice for the saints, you get to do that too. Let me pray for us. We're going to listen to a story, and then we're going to sing together and respond. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we want to thank you, first and foremost, for your amazing goodness. God, your goodness is like nothing we've ever experienced here on earth. Father, your goodness is not part of a, of a barter system. God, you don't ask us to meet your expectations and then you love us. God, you love us first. And God, as we've learned together on this all-in journey that when we truly trust in that, when we trust that you are good, it begins to change our lives. And just like we saw in, in 2 Corinthians 8 this morning, things begin to come out of our lives faith and knowledge and love and earnestness and also generosity. So God, my prayer is that you would stir in our hearts this deep affection for Christ that would cause us to live differently, to see the world differently, to see our generosity differently, whether it relates to money or time or energy. Father, now we turn over this time to you. We ask that you would speak and work in our, in our hearts and guide us now as we respond. We pray this in Christ's name. Hi, I'm Mike Dilley, and this is my wife, Priscilla. Um, we have two kids here at Solid Rock. We have uh, Ryder, who's nine, and Valentina, who is five. 
and we're involved in uh, Awana. We are also um, community group leaders. Priscilla's in the worship team, and uh, I help out with the live welcomes as well. Um, while here at Solid Rock, uh, I know we've grown as a family spiritually and um, even personally, and I've um, been on a mission trip to the Philippines, which has been um, impactful for me um, personally, but from a family standpoint, being involved in the community group uh, ministry has been um, unbelievable, um, both for our family as a whole, for our marriage, um, for me individually. Uh, about three or four months after we um, started coming to Solid Rock, we got plugged into community group and um, were part of a community group and then from that started leading uh, a separate community group and along the way just the relationships we've built but um, the spiritual growth that we've had as a family and individually been really uh, Im impactful. To continue with what Mike is saying, it is, has been an amazing experience to be a part of the community here at church. I grew up in the church. My father being a minister, I always experienced church since the day I was born. But it wasn't until coming to Solid Rock that I truly uh, came to know the meaning of community and that church wasn't just something you did, but something you live out and live out together in community. So that's been a, a, an incredible experience for me personally, but I know for our family. As a family, we choose to give financially to Solid Rock, um, first and foremost, because it's a, a, a command in the Bible and it's a, um, a directive from God. And so that's reason enough for us, um, but we also, uh, we try to intentionally do it in a, in a way that um, is out of thankfulness and, and um, giving back um, out of our blessings from God, giving back to His work. And we've gone through great times, bad times, hard times, wonderful times, um, but it's always been an attitude of the heart and um, us finding that joy and giving back to the church what originally belongs to Him in the first place. It's been uh, impactful in my, in my life just really thinking about what it is all in, what does that mean, um, and what does it mean to live um, a life of uh, love and sacrifice and something that Jason said, uh, I think it was um, sacrifice is the currency of love and so that really resonated with me, uh, I know with a lot of members of our community group as well and so um, you can say you love people and you can say you love your church or your community um, but that 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 will really show up when you begin to sacrifice and whether it's your time, resources, uh, energy. God has really been challenging me through the All In series to live out my life totally sold out for Christ. I specifically remember uh, the sermon when Jason was talking about hanging on to the stuff and wanting to take two steps forward but still hanging on to your stuff. And I started thinking, what is that stuff? that I'm hanging on to. I have to um, die to myself and to my own desires to be able to be all in for Him. To any families or individuals that uh, might be on the fence or apprehensive about being all in or being not really knowing what to think about the all in initiative or kind of um, keeping it at arm's length, I would just say that um, for us, you know, the next two year commitment that we're talking about, um, as a family, it. it we think we know what's going to happen. We think we know what we're going to be able to commit to, um, but there is some 
there is some unknown. You never know what's going to happen next month or six months from now. But uh, I know for us, what encourages us is just the track record of God. Um, when we look back over uh, the lives of uh, our family, um, not to mention the track record that he has uh, throughout history and throughout the Bible. He has a flawless track record. He, he, can't, he can't fail and he can't um, not be faithful. If you're looking at it from the, the perspective of going through that with God who can't fail and who has great plans uh, and to be part of those, it makes it more exciting than, than apprehensive.